Savior. Someone's drowning out in the sea. We have people that we employ to sit up on high chairs, on towers, to just watch the sea. So that if they see someone in distress that they can't resolve, that are in the process of drowning, they can, in many cases, endanger themselves to go and rescue that person. And without that, that lifeguard making that effort and doing their task, the rescue would not take place. That's the condition of the human race. <coughs> in the garden, which was an historic event, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent lied to Eve, and Adam, standing there mute, not deaf, but a mute, <laughs> by his own choosing, not doing his role of leadership and defense, Lucifer lied to Eve and to Adam about what God was like. He's not really good. He's denying you an experience you have a right to, the knowledge of good and evil. He's reserving that for himself. Oh, it's such a blessing to know the difference between good and evil. Let me ask you a question, folks. Where does stress come from in your life? The stress in your life comes from knowing and having to decide between and <laughs> grapple with the issues of good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. Even if you're just walking into the grocery store, do I want this kind of cornmeal or that kind of cornmeal? Which one's organic? <laughs> Which one? We're constantly having to deal with the issue, all of the stress, Adam and Eve, their choices were good, better, best. When they ate the forbidden fruit, the array became much larger. Good, better, best, bad, worse, worst. And so the human race has spent the rest of its history trying to fend off bad, worse, worse, which wasn't even a prospect before. Oh, we got what we wanted. Not good. Not good. But God. But God dove in. <coughs> and one at a time, if you're in the kingdom, it's because Jesus, the lifesaver, dove into your life experience laid his hand on you, and even though, as is often the case with the person being rescued, is fighting every inch of the way. Very often, what is a, the biggest threat to the person saving the person is the person they're saving. Jesus laid hold of us and brought us to shore. Yes, what he did historically, is he is God the Son. Become flesh. Behold my servant. 
Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal justly. He will do exactly the right thing. And ultimately, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He came and took all of the hell, all of the punishment that you and I deserve. When he was nailed to that cross, he took what we deserve so that his father, his holy, just father, could then turn to us and offer to us what he, Jesus, <coughs> deserved. Complete rescue out of an eternity in the lake of fire to eternity in the welcome presence of God. And Jesus having done that work on the cross and being the primary, who's the great evangelist with a capital E to the human race? Jesus himself. Because without him speaking, without him working, no one would step into the kingdom. And so the evangelist with a capital E is Jesus, but he also recruits us as to be part of that plan. And very often, it's not in the format that we would prefer. But he uses us. He uses us. And his promise to us earlier in the, our time together, I quoted that statement of Jesus to the church at Smyrna. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who was dead and is now alive. Why does he say that to them? Why does he point to that about himself? Because they are about to be tested. They're about to be thrown into prison and they will be tested 10 days. And I hold before you the crown of life. Be faithful until death. Ouch. And I will give you the crown of life. And I promise this to you. You will be so blown away by that crown of life the cost you paid to get it will be nothing to you he invites us into that process but it's going to look just like Jesus who was what rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him and that will be the experience of us Of us. But the prospect before us is also will be like that of Jesus who is elevated to the right hand of the Father. What does he say to the church at Laodicea, the seventh churches of those seven? He who overcomes, to him who overcomes, I will make a place here be beside me on my throne as the Father made for me because I prevailed, because I overcame. A seat beside Jesus. How does that sound? That day is coming, and when it comes, it will have come forever. Now, what I just said to you is the place that the Apostle Paul is in as he writes 
to his disciple Timothy. I'm going to begin reading in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter that we have, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading a few verses before what I have written in the, in the bulletin, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to back up to verse 8 to give us a running start, and this is what we touched on last week. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul is in a Roman dungeon. <clears throat> and whatever bad thing you can think of about what the word dungeon might imply is true. He was in as bad as a place as the Romans could contrive. Just being there was punishment. Do not be ashamed of me, excuse me, of the testimony of our Lord, who was put on a cross by the Romans, nor of me, his Jesus prisoner, not Nero's prisoner, Jesus' prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Jesus doesn't just say, suffer with me. He says, suffer with me according to the power of God. Oh, yes, you'll go through suffering, but I will supply the energy to you. I will supply the power to you so that the tests, the trial, will not be too much for you. It may bring you to the point where your hands are trembling and your knees are shaking, but you will succeed. You will finish the course. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began. This is not a slipshod operation. We're doing the plan set up in eternity. but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so the gospel promises what? Life. Life isn't just a continuing existence. That's immortality. Life is unhindered relationship with the true and living God who is holy and good. to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Paul, you're in a Roman dungeon. I'm not ashamed. Was Jesus ashamed as he stood before the Sanhedrin bound? No, he wasn't ashamed. You know who was ashamed? His persecutors were ashamed because they brought accusations against him that just kept falling to the ground. They couldn't get two witnesses to agree to anything. They were lying and lying and knew they were lying and they couldn't even get their lies to agree. Isn't that amazing? God was making it clear to them the depth of their wickedness.
I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep, to preserve what I have committed to him until that day. And rightly so, in our Bibles, that word day is capitalized because the day is the day of Christ. I've made an investment, and on that day, it will pay off. Dungeon suffering will be more than made up for in kingdom glory. Hold fast. So do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed. Keep. He will keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast. The pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing, that faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, which was committed to you, that gospel truth, keep. Hold fast to it. Keep it by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You hang on tight. You, Timothy, don't have a right to give away what doesn't belong to you. He committed his treasure into your keeping. If someone committed a treasure to you, they're going to go on a journey. They come knocking on your door. Sarah Beth, Bob, Marilyn, Doug, would you keep this for me? I'm going on a journey. Will you keep this for me so that when I come back, you can hand it back to me? Well, certainly. And so as they go on their journey and don't come back and don't come back and don't come back and, you know, that, that uh, item that they left for my keeping, I could use some of that resource. Or, you know, I could give that to, let's say you were in the grocery store and you had just filled your basket with groceries. And ahead of you in the checkout line was someone else who had filled their basket with groceries also. And so about two minutes after they've left the store, you are following them out, and here this person has stopped, and here is a homeless person, person that really needs some help. And they're just sympathetic. Oh, you really need some. Here, let me give you some help. And so, but instead of turning to their basket and giving them groceries out of their basket, they turn over to your basket and they start pulling things out of your basket and giving them. Wait a minute. <laughs> You're giving away something that doesn't belong to you. You want to help that person out, how about plundering your own basket? What has the church done? What was the temptation to Timothy? What was the temptation that was actually 
acceded to by some of Paul's contemporaries. They gave away parts of the gospel. They didn't have a right to give away. Paul's letter to the Galatians is about Christians who had given away the gospel. And they had come to the believers in the province of Galatia that Paul had led to Christ, and they've come with a different gospel, which is, oh, you, you, you know what you really need to do is keep the law of Moses. That's the way of, of welcome and acceptance with God. And Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians saying, those men had no right to give away what doesn't belong to them. And to tell you the gospel isn't true. No, the gospel is true. The law, in fact, is nothing but a condemning force. Nothing wrong with the law, but it's just a diagnostic tool. And so here were these men that were considered representatives of the church who were giving away what doesn't belong to them. I was raised in a denomination that did that. I won't identify the denomination. It's not, it was one of the mainline Protestant denominations. Back when I was a kid in the 50s and 60s, it was stated, and I can remember hearing this, that 55% of the American population identified with one of these mainline Protestant denominations. And the thinking was of these people who gave away the gospel and gave away Bible truth was, you know what, people really in America, you know what's going to keep our churches full and keep the money flowing to us? If we just keep patting them on the head and telling them that they can do whatever they want and believe whatever they want and we will approve of them and they will come to our buildings every Sunday morning and they will fill our offering plates because they really want that pat on the head approval. And there, there was a few years where that actually worked because the people were in such a habit of just going and doing it. But I was in the I can remember as a kid. I'm, I was about 11 years old. I was in that church, and one day, just I, I don't remember what prompted this statement, one of the church leaders said, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're not Adolf Hitler or Genghis Khan, you're going to heaven. I can tell you right now, the thought that flashed through my brain was, well, then I'd rather be home watching cartoons. And I stayed home watching cartoons as much as I possibly could, they just declared themselves irrelevant to me. And by the way, I don't need your pat on the head to go do what I want. That 55% of the American population that was identified with it, the last I heard 20 years ago, that was down to 8%, and I think that was an exaggeration. But they gave away what didn't belong to them. It belongs to God, and our job is to stand forthright, just as we mentioned earlier, Jan Hus. He could have saved his life by simply denying the truth of the gospel. And he chose to be burned at the stake instead. Church of England, Bloody Mary, the daughter of Henry VIII, when she was queen of England, two bishops, Latimer and Ridley, chose burning at the stake rather than denying gospel truth. And a few months later, the Archbishop of Canterbury, 
Cranmer chose burning at the stake rather than backing down. His statement in the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer at the back, number 10, 39 Articles of Religion is, on justification, we are justified solely by the merit that is in Christ Jesus and not by our own works and deservings. Folks, it doesn't get any clearer than that. We are justified solely. We have a welcome with God solely based on the merit of Jesus Christ and not by our own works and deservings. And he wouldn't back down from that. And he, he chose death by fire. God's Holy Spirit helped him to go through that test. But can you imagine stepping into the presence of Jesus having just given your body to the flame because of your love and loyalty to him? The day he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. How do you do it? What does it look like to hold fast? You will be walking by faith and you will be washing the feet of other people. That good thing, that pattern of sound words, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Oh, you won't be able to do it yourself, Timothy. Neither can I. But the Holy Spirit who dwells in you can do through you what you couldn't even imagine doing. Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia, the province of Asia, they're in what is, what is modern-day Turkey. It's the southwestern area of what is modern-day Turkey. All those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Why would he name those names? Probably because they had been loyal, formerly. They are an illustration. How would you like to have your name memorialized in the Bible forever and ever and ever and ever as someone who, who as a coward, gave up what he didn't own? Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, the Lord grant mercy to the whole household of Onesiphorus, who is in total contrast to Phygelus and Hermogenes, for he, Onesiphorus, often refreshed me and was not ashamed, not ashamed of my chain. So what are we saying of Phygelus and Hermogenes? Apparently they saw the persecution and the life experience of the Apostle Paul and said, uh, I don't choose that. No, thank you. And rather than cry out to God, the Holy Spirit, for the strength they would need to hold fast, they decided just to stiff arm that possible life experience, not Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul, the prisoner. But when he, Onesiphorus, arrived in Rome, this is a man who came from the province of Asia in what is today southwest Turkey, 
crossed what probably took the Mediterranean cruise, past Greece, got to Rome. Why? Because he knew Paul was in a dungeon and he wanted to go serve Paul. And so he doesn't go next door. He crosses half of the Mediterranean to go to the place where he might serve Paul. Is I don't, not that I know of. No, that was Onesimus. This is Onesiphorus. But when he arrived in Rome, sought me out very zealously and found me. It wasn't just like asking somebody at, at, the, at the dock, okay, can you tell me where the Apostle Paul is hanging? No, he had to go find him. He had to apparently make an effort, a serious effort, to find Paul. He didn't just run into him on the street corner. He was there to find and serve Paul, and he sought out and found Paul to serve him. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, which suggests that Onesiphorus has died, perhaps because of his loyalty to Jesus' ministry, to Jesus' ministry, which is being manifested through Paul. <coughs> the Lord grant to him that he may, he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, and you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus, which is in the province of Asia. You know how he served me. You know how he served me. You know how he served me. I'll take that. I'll take that. He sought out how he might serve God's servant who was standing for the gospel truth. And he likewise was standing for that gospel truth and he paid the price. This is pretty straightforward, straight from the shoulder statement by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? He looks at us. Will you serve me? He says to us through this page, will you serve me? As Paul, as Timothy, as Onesiphorus served me? Even to death even to death, this apostle writing this letter soon after the writing of this letter would have his head chopped off. He could have escaped it. All he had to do was deny Jesus <coughs> and say, never mind. And he probably would have been allowed to just walk away. He didn't choose that. He chose loyalty to Jesus. Will you be loyal to me? We've had many prayer requests. We just prayed for an array of people with physical problems, with problems in the court system, with problems with being betrayed by other people that, that ought to have a reasonable right or expectation of loyalty and instead got betrayal. 
Jesus is the master of those things just as much as he was the master of Paul's life experience in that dungeon from which he's writing. And is Jesus able to keep what you've committed to him against that day with the expectation that that day is coming and when that day comes, there will be no day like it that has ever been experienced? That's pretty simple stuff. But it is the stuff of our lives, really. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are flesh and blood. We are left to ourselves absolutely, 100% not capable of being loyal followers of Jesus. But we thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves. You are with us in every imaginable way. God the Holy Spirit himself indwells us. And you even say, Jesus, in John's Gospel, not only will I give God the Holy Spirit to dwell within you forever, but if you walk in obedience to me, my Father and I will both come and make our home in you. Therefore, John 15, dwell in me, abide in me, and I in you. Make a welcome place for me in you, in your inner man. And you will bear much fruit. We are asking for Dennis Montgomery. We are asking for Robert. We are asking for wife Julie. We're asking for Julie Ottaway. We're asking for Ariana. We're asking for Harold. We're asking for Daniel. We're asking for Darren and Courtney. We're asking for Jesse. We're asking even for Brian who is sitting in jail right now. We're asking for Brandy Buford that you will take, and there are so many people here who have, are experiencing tests right now that have not been voiced in this list. We are asking that you will make everlasting glory out of the tests. That that day will disclose that it has been worth We ask for this outcome from you. Good, good, wise, all-powerful shepherd Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.